all you can do is get as deep as you can with people, individuals, and follow them and just see what they're going through and present that to an audience. Julia Reichert's death from cancer on December 1st at the age of 76 made headlines across the country. Most of them called her an Oscar-winning documentary filmmaker. And that was certainly true. She was a four-time Academy Award-nominated director for 1977's Union Maids, Seeing Red, Stories of American Communists in 1984, The Last Truck, Closing of a GM Plant in 2010, and American Factory, for which she won an Oscar in 2020. But I thought Julia would have really got a kick out of the New York Times headline, which called her Documentarian of the Working Class, also known as a godmother of the American independent film movement, her award-winning films focused on women and labor. Back in 2020, Julia talked with 9to5 co-founder Karen Nussbaum about how her working-class upbringing informed her work as much as her left politics. She offered advice for chronicling the pandemic and told what it was like to give her acceptance speech at the Academy Awards that year. In the interview, originally published in The American Prospect in April 2020, Julia discussed her films, Growing Up Female, Union Maids, and Seeing Red, all of which she made with Jim Klein, as well as The Lion in the House, The Last Truck, American Factory, and what turned out to be her final film, Nine to Five, The Story of a Movement, co-directed with Stephen Bognar. The interview ran in two parts on the Labor History Today podcast. You can hear the first part here today on Labor Goes to the Movies, and the second part will run in this Sunday's Labor History Today podcast. Julia begins by discussing the film she was working on in 2020, focused on 9 to 5, the organization of women clerical workers that Karen co-founded. Here's Karen Nussbaum. Let me just ask you about the timeline. So you say there are three categories, world events, what's happening in nine to five, and then... Like the movement, kind of like the the women's movement, uh, like, so one timeline is like world events that relate more in a broad sense, right? Another timeline is specifically kind of movement stuff, like Lily Ledbetter comes under the move, kind of women's movement, labor movement. And then at, at that same year as Lily Ledbetter, Pay Restoration Act, the Child Care Center's bill fails in state Senate, and that's, you know, that's in Washington state. It goes all the way from 70, and you see there's three the three lines, and it's been so valuable, and we would add stuff. You can see different handwriting. Of course, we you know, stopped. When you're, when you're done with it, it should go into the Wayne State Archive. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's valuable research. <laughs> well, certainly what Crystal made, that 100-page timeline, which I refer yes. to, I used to refer to all the time, you know, because you, even though you're making a movie that's supposed to tell a story and everything doesn't fit perfectly, as you see in the film, you know, sometimes we have things that are literally out of order a bit. But, you know, if you're making a movie, you got to tell a good story and you eliminate and shuffle things around a bit. We certainly did that, well, with Union Maids. Mm-hmm. You, you probably haven't seen that in a long time, but... Um, I, 
I, I rewatched Union Made Seeing Red oh. last truck. Wow. Uh, all the biggies um, <laughs> for my interview with you. I prepared, oh. Julia. Oh, it matters well, to me. So. Oh, God. Well, thank you. I hope they were interesting or, you know. They really were. They, they were fantastic. And yeah. <laughs> the kinds of things that I want to talk to you about are this very topic, how your films were situated in the historical moment yeah. and you were trying to accomplish with them. So that's yeah, really yeah. the theme of my okay. interview with you. Oh, great. Start with Growing Up Female. You've talked about how your films are for social change, you know, that, yeah. that you are looking at your world and trying to change it. And film is your tool for doing that. And I wanted to ask you about Growing Up Female, which both, it was so much fun to see again, <laughs> because it seems like, oh, duh. <laughs> <laughs> but then it was like no, the first it, ever. It's so hard it to, was. to So I'd like you to talk a little bit about that. And also to talk about how in those days uh, you would go around with a film and a projector and show it to groups. It was a very hands-on experience of using film for organizing. So talk to me about um, doing something that was path-breaking in terms of content and then also what that meant for you as an organizing tool. Another thread is actually very impactful in terms of all these choices. Everything from like Union Maid, Seeing Red, certainly Growing Up Female is very obvious. How mm -hmm. did it come out of me personally and my own experience growing up and being a female in the world, growing up in the 50s, coming into the 60s, but also me as a person who did not come from any kind of privileged background, who mm -hmm. came from a working class union dad, Republican union dad, right? A working mom, you know, she went mm -hmm. back to work with the four kids in the house when I was nine and I had to start cooking dinner every night, which, I don't look back upon it as a bad thing. I mean, I didn't feel burdened by it. I felt like, okay, you know, my mom would yeah. leave stuff and I would finish it, you know. But I didn't realize till I went to college that we were working class. Yeah. I just thought we, we were fine. You know, we were middle class, even better than some people we knew. So there's kind of two things going on. One is the movements for social change that I ended up luckily being part of, and you were too. It's mm -hmm. our generation. We came of age in the 60s. You know, we got swept into all these amazing movements. But for me, it was the first time ever. Because mm -hmm. there was no, for me, civil rights movement or any of that, you know. Mm -hmm. I just, we didn't know about it in our little town. So it's partly the movements I got swept up in, but it's partly my own personal who I was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And... And it, and it has a huge impact on all the films, which is, if you think about, like you mentioned Seeing Red. Mm -hmm. Why is Seeing Red a rank-and-file story? Mm -hmm. We don't interview anyone who was a leader outside of Dorothy Healy. Right. Nobody. That's because I was interested in the... You see how many people in that film say, I got educated by the Communist Party. Mm -hmm. They made me read books. Oh, my God. How did, you know, you remember that, this, the guy who's a longshoreman? And yeah. the woman in Ohio 
who talks about, they took me to school and I would fall asleep, you know. I sought out the people without realizing it, who were kind of like yeah. me, who were transformed by being part of a movement in a mm -hmm. positive way, and then what it cost them in the long run. But I was very right. interested in rank and file, regular people who got involved and got empowered and educated, right, by the movement. And you see that in nine to five. Yeah. I mean, we do spend time with you and Debbie, mm -hmm. who were more so middle class, you know, like educated people, even though you dropped out of school, yeah. but you came from an educated background. <laughs> yes. I love that you dropped yeah. out of school because I did too, but I went back. Anyway, going back to growing up female. So I always have to combine my personal journey with the, the, the world around me. It's very, very important. And I've realized that yeah. more as I've gone along and done all these interviews and thought, thought about it and everything. Yeah. So Growing Up Female obviously has the context of the women's movement, which mm -hmm. being a college kid in the late 60s, you know, I was one of those lucky enough to get really influenced, swept up in the idea of consciousness raising. Yeah. You know, consciousness raising groups, which, mm -hmm. you know, I was in one of five people for, you know, months before there were any more. But the mm -hmm. whole, that whole group experience of realizing that it wasn't an individual problem, it was a societal problem. When you sit around, and you say that exact thing in nine to five. Yeah. It's like complaining to your boss or complaining to an organization. Well, this was like, right. is it my fault that I feel stupid in class? Is it my fault that, you know, I feel ugly? And do you know what I mean? Which is yes, what you grew absolutely. up feeling. Uh, but then until you sit around with five other women, and you go around and God damn, we all feel the same way. And yeah. so that's the building block for making it a movement. Mm -hmm. And that was very fundamental. So you could say historical context, yes, the women's movement is growing. The women's movement is showing its power. The women's movement though, for me, it's based on that collective, emotional, bonding experience of consciousness-raising group, and based on looking around at the larger world and seeing, in Southwest Ohio and in Southern mm -hmm. New Jersey, where I grew up, and seeing that these ideas were not getting to women who were at home, who had young children, who didn't get to go to college, most of the people I went to high school with. It's like, they were not the quote-unquote bra burning and the Miss America pageant protest, which I went to. Right. And I saw all the people in Atlantic City, which is, you know, I spent every summer going to Atlantic City. These were people I grew up with, but they were on the other side of the barricades. Sure. Yeah. And the women mm -hmm. poured out of the buses from New York City with wild hair and, like, really offensive signs to most people. So right. I felt part of them, but I also felt part of the people on the other side of the barricades, mm -hmm. right? Because I was one of them, except I happened to have the lucky shot at going to college and being in a CR group and, you know, sort of building a women's movement of our own here in Ohio, which was different from the New York City women that I saw at these protests. So it was like... Yes, so you're bridging the divide between... Yeah. These two groups that you identify with. Kind of like you did, though. Huh? 
It's right. kind of like you did. One reason I love the 9 to 5 story, and I always felt compelled to tell it. So then we get to growing up female. So yes, there's the historical context of the women's movement, but I saw the women's movement as powerful, important ideas, but not getting to people well enough. Right. So that's why growing up female is not about the women's movement. We don't interview Gloria Steinem or anything like right. that. Uh, but uh, sometimes, usually, we don't know what the historical context is, is until right. far later. That is very uh, true. Yes. And and in in looking back, your you know I'm, one of the questions I'm interested in is: yeah. Are your films that were made in the '70s before everything fell apart, right? More positive. You know, you're trying to bridge a gap between. There's two sides of a barricade. And then going into the 80s, I wonder, were you trying to tell activists to take heart? You know, were you, you know, so looking back, were you, because you are affected by your circumstances, did you have a different mission because things had changed so dramatically by the 80s? So that's a good question. I feel like I've made, or me and my partners have made, two different kinds of films. Mm-hmm. One is Union Maids, Seeing Red, and 9 to 5, which yeah. are reflections on the past, which are trying to help a struggling movement find its bearings, take hope, find out, are these people who were either in the Communist Party, the labor movement, or 9 to 5, honestly, are they for real? Are they good mm-hmm. people? You know, are they people who retain their dedication over time? Are they for real? I think that's an actually important question. Yes. Who are they? Not just like what they did, but who are they? Okay, so Seeing Red is a lot about that. You know, like you you trace them through, what what did they do when the McCarthy period came? Well, guess what? Most of them didn't leave. Yeah. They left when their movement was shown to be false from the inside. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. just devastated them, right? So there's that kind of film. Yes. But that has the, the, the advantage of hindsight. In other words, you can't, when you're in the right. middle of something, you can't stand back and say, well, this is the important stuff, and these are right. the important people, and these are the important ideas. You can do that 30 years later, mm-hmm. which or more, you know. Yeah. And then the other films... Growing Up Female is in the middle of a social movement. And Truck is in the middle of a national crisis. American Factory is in the middle of a huge global change. Right. Right. And Lion is very embedded in, you know, changes in the medical field, but also just what parents face, you know. So anyway, two different kinds of films. And when you're in the middle of things, I believe, well, at least... My, in my abilities as a filmmaker, I don't think you can stand back and do a whole hell of a lot of evaluating. You try to find people who are living through truly this thing, whether it's the closing of a plant or the loss of a child or the dealing with Chinese and American, all that stuff. All you can do is get as deep as you can with people, individuals, and 
follow them and just see what they're going through and present that to an audience. Later, we will see what the impact of globalization is on these workers in yeah. American factory. We did later, like 10 years down the road, when you look back at truck and you see people saying, let's build it in America, let's make it in America, the woman in tears in front of the plant, yes. you know, and people, uh, a lot of things people say, you can understand why the next 10 years happened because right. they were so devastated. I mean, people were in tears. It was like they lost their child when they lost yes. that job. And I don't think America really understood that loss. Mm -hmm. You know, and we couldn't then, but we look back on it now. Sometimes you grab a hold and you, you get as deep as you can. And other times you have the, the luxury of like evaluating what was good about nine to five. You know, what right. was good about the Communist Party and where did they fail? Right. Yeah. You, but you can't do that when you're going through it. Thinking about the coronavirus today. Oh, what, my God. <laughs> you know, what should... A documentarian do to grab onto this. Well, you know, a lot of us talk about this, and there's a lot more to be said about historical context if you want to talk more about that. You know, again, we're in the middle of it, so the best I can do is tell you the experience of what I know. I can't give a perspective on yeah. it, really. But, well, Steve and I talk like every day or two about, gee, if we could, we can't, I cannot go out. Yeah. There's just no way. If I were. Right. 35 and didn't have kids and could wear a mask and gloves, right. I would be embedded somewhere right now. Yeah. Like, for instance, the Dayton Food Bank. I've thought mm -hmm. about that. It's a really interesting thing because there's the National Guard there. There's people lined up. Like, how do they protect it? You know, but you'd literally have to embed there. Like, you wouldn't go home yeah. at night uh -huh. if you lived you know, with kids or people, you know. Right. But we've yeah. talked to younger filmmakers around here about what are you guys doing? And they're all, everybody's, from what I've seen, my limited experience in Ohio and Chicago, so far, people want to be documenting but are scratching their heads about how they can do it without endangering the people around them. Mm -hmm. You know, and the only way yeah. I could see is if you literally like you can't go into a hospital because of HIPAA, which would mm -hmm. be the most amazing thing is to go into an emergency room and just literally stay there, find a yeah. bed, which we did with lions. Sometimes we would sleep right. in the hospital overnight because we couldn't leave. You'd have to embed in an emergency room, get a bed of some kind and just be willing to probably get sick. And yeah get permission, but with HIPAA, you can't do it. So you think, okay, what's another emergency, like place you could see the impact on regular mm -hmm. folks? And I thought of the Dayton Food Bank. Yeah. I've, incur I've tried to encourage, and they're open to it, actually. So that's the kind of thing we're thinking about. But as far as a perspective on what does the coronavirus mean? It's, it's like, if you had asked me at the beginning of American Factory, well, what's the impact of globalization? It would be like, I don't know. I got right. Yeah. No, no, no. Right. It's it's not so much forward looking, but yeah. You know, part of what you do is help people process what's going on in front of them. Right. Uh, both in the moment and looking forward, but you can only do it from the moment. Right. Well, the films do it usually several years later. I mean, actually, like yeah. in the moment, 
we're just, again, with American Factories being the best example, we're yeah. just all five of us in there trying to like follow story threads, which really means following people. We don't ask ourselves what's happening with... what. Well, the big question with that film was always... For everybody, every character we were following, which included management, workers, HR, the nurses, and some of this we didn't end up including, is like, will this endeavor succeed or fail? Mm -hmm. But we also had to recognize that success for a worker is not the same as success for the owner mm -hmm. or success for management. Success for the worker means, will this be a good job? Will this ever become a good job to support my family? Mm -hmm. Management right. is, can I get these workers to work their friggin' asses off for this low mm -hmm. pay in this hot environment? How do I motivate them? Is it like through, you know, punitive or encouraging? Or how do I, what, do I have the skills to do this? For the owner, it's like, how can I make this American factory of all my factories, you know, profitable? So everyone has a different measure of success. I think now it's, you know, the film does help people see what's going on in the world, kind of. But when we were going through it, we didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> we, were, we just thought, right. wow, this is a hell of an interesting thing happening in our town. Yeah. You know, all these Chinese people coming in. So I don't think it's as intellectual as a lot of people think, actually. Uh-huh. So you have a nose for a story, but you don't know what the story is until you follow it through. Yeah. You, you, and yeah. It, it's also stories that we can drive to a lot of yeah. times. <laughs> Director Julia Riker talking with 9to5 co-founder Karen Nussbaum. Julia died of cancer on December 1st at the age of 76. Catch the second part of this interview on Sunday's edition of Labor History Today. There's a link in the show notes. Or... Just search for it on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks so much for listening to Labor Goes to the Movies. This has been Chris Garlock. Elise and I will be back with a new series of interviews starting next week. See you then.